Hello, leaders, and welcome to Connections, the podcast. This is where we sit down with some of our friends and talk about how God wants to use us to lead the women in our community to be better women, mothers, and leaders. I'm Jennifer Iverson, and today our guest is Rebecca Grady, one of our awesome MOPS volunteers. Rebecca, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me today. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? I am a military spouse and a former military member. I coach the military MOPS groups. Um, I have three kids, Hannah Harper and Ronan, and we live in Ohio. So Awesome. Awesome. I love it. We love our military mamas. Thank you so much. This year, um, we've really been focusing on what it looks like to thrive in leadership. And this podcast in particular is uh, one of a series that we're doing that is kind of a rerun of our workshops that we had at MomCon for our leadership teams. Um, We talked about what it means to thrive versus survive, and you had the chance to speak to our creative activity and service leaders. Um, So I'd love for you to start out by just telling us a little bit about what do you think it means to really thrive? The mom who's thriving, if you, like, you can kind of pick up on that right away. And it's not just about, hey, look, she showered today and and she actually got to comb her hair. It's, (laughs) it it has a a much more like an intrinsic and visceral effect. It's the mom who can say something positive to lift somebody else up. The mom who you, you know, she doesn't have to blow out anybody else's candle to make her shine brighter. She Mm -hmm. is seeking out. Um, opportunities to help other people. She has a listening ear, you know, but you also, it's the mom that you see smiling, the mom who can accept a setback without having it ruin her entire day. You know, it's more than just looking happy and looking put together. It's, it's where are you emotionally? And if you can um, reach back to help somebody else, pull somebody else up, lift somebody else up. That, in my opinion, that's thriving. You know, sometimes I think it's almost easier for us to see in ourselves what it means to not thrive. What does that look like? I think when you look around at your groups and stuff, the moms that you see that aren't thriving are the ones that when something goes a little bit wrong, they're not about solutions. They tend to be the ones that have a lot of complaints or those little things that will wreck their day. Everybody has a rough morning, but the person who's not thriving that has a rough morning is kind of um, ruined. You also see the mom who is just completely exhausted. If you are completely exhausted by your day, then something has to give and that's not thriving either. When you see that, that mom that it's just, there's nothing left to pour out because you're an empty vessel, that, that is a failure to thrive. And I think that we see that so much these days. I think people are so overscheduled and, you know, they're, they're carrying around the weight of their responsibility so heavily. We know that one in five women are being diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorders, depression, things like that. Um, One in nine of our moms is going to experience your postpartum depression. And so this is so prevalent in our mom community. That's just what's reported. That's just what we have statistics on. And, you know, anything that carries a stigma 
has a tendency to be underreported. Look around my group and honestly, even when I look inside myself, I know we're not talking about perfection, like thriving is not perfection here, but you can see um, evidence of these in your groups. You can see evidence of this sometimes even in ourselves. One thing I love about you, I'm a little bit of a, a science nerd myself, and one thing I love about you is that you really dug into kind of the science of this. So would you kind of take us back to school a little bit and give us a science lesson in this whole concept of thriving? One of the neat things about digging into the science is that I think it's the it's that raw evidence. You know, so many things when you're when you're a person of faith, you're like, I, I'm gonna I'm choosing to believe this. I'm having faith in this even though I can't get my hands on it. But um, I'm so nuts and bolts and I love to see how things work. And sometimes it's a big help for me to kind of dig into this and to see these fine details because I think it's evidence of God's truly intricate and precise plan for us. You know, God asks us to live a certain way and to be a certain kind of person towards others, but he doesn't just throw us out there with nothing. We have these tools that are built into us and these very well-planned, carefully designed, intentional systems in our bodies that cause us to respond in the, in the proper way if we're using them the proper way. Back in the 1970s, there was a big push towards the study of depression. And they started digging into why are people feeling sad? Why are so many people struggling with these mental health issues? And, you know, they were doing all these surveys and all this quantitative analysis on it. And then there came along another group of scientists that said, hey, you know, let's look at happy too. And they got laughed out of the room at that point because they said, you can't measure happy. Well, okay. if you can measure sad, you can measure happy too. You can measure right? happy. Yeah. So, so that was the very early stages of the field of positive psychology. And it took until the late 80s for it to really take off. But what they found is that there in general, people have a genetic set point for happiness. So if you think of a person like a pie chart, about 40% of your overall happiness is, is just kind of genetically based. And it, I can do this in my family, and I know other people can do this, where you look around at the people in your family, and you say, we're kind of all in the same personality type of happiness level. And you'll see the families that kind of struggle, you, you have people that are more negative or more cynical, you tend to have more of that in a family, it's a prevalence thing. And then in family, you have other families that are like super bubbly and really up and, and very excited and enthusiastic. And, and so it tends to kind of run in families. You have this genetic set point. And the, the interesting thing is that people are way more resilient than we give them credit for. So when you have this genetic set point, something really, really bad can happen or something really, really good can happen. And it'll move that needle for a minute. But in a very surprisingly short period of time, you will come back to that genetic set. You know, even people who have had terrible tragedies that have um, continued, there, there was an interview with a woman who was actually, she was hit by a car. This woman had been a debutante and a beauty queen her whole life. 
all her hobbies and involved where they were all centered around this. And she had this argument with somebody and when the person pulled away in their car, they knocked her over and they actually ran over her face. And oh. she was severely, severely injured and permanently disfigured by this. And, you know, 30 surgeries later, the damage is still very, very evident. And the, the effect that it had on her life was huge. But when they asked her, are you happy? She said, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm as happy as I was then. And that's not to say that she probably doesn't still struggle with those things, but the genetic set point of happiness, her needle was able to return back to that point because of that human resiliency. So we have this genetic set point. Then we have another 10% that is kind of affected by our day-to-day -day living lifestyle, the things that are going on, our situation, 10%, which is actually a really small percentage. And the, the reason why it's classified as being so small is because no matter where you go in the world, no matter way, what the levels of poverty are, you can still find some of the happiest people. You know, the, the life circumstances play a very small role in our actual level of happiness. That leaves us with this 40%. And that 40% is the area that we actually can have some real intentional influence on. You know, we're not stuck with that genetic set point. There are things that we can do to permanently increase our level of happiness. So the whole study, the whole field of psychology or positive psychology is looking at what can move that needle, what can actually increase our level of happiness. The first thing you have to do is understand what those internal mechanisms are that, that actually drive our level of happiness. So to, to couch this in the actual mechanism um, that's built into our brains, we know that dopamine is our reward neurotransmitter. That's you know, when we get an, uh, an influx of dopamine, that's when we get that, that uplift in our level of happiness. And the things that actually alter our level of happiness are things that either trigger the release of dopamine or require dopamine uptake. So um, the whole dopamine, dopamine system works by uh, you have some kind of a stimulus, so whatever activity that you are participating in, it triggers an electrical impulse in the brain that makes that dopamine release. And then with the release of that neurotransmitter, it diffuses to the next cell and binds to the receptors. And then that triggers an electrical change in your brain. So that's the actual like functionality of, I don't feel so happy to bing, I feel happier. Okay. Nice. Nice. But so there's hope that. for us that aren't <laughs> super happy genetically to start with. <laughs> right, right. And so you can have things that, um, you know, can trigger that in, in short bursts. You know, the things that trigger those in short bursts are pleasure items. So when you ask people what would make you happy and you get answers like, well, if I could get this promotion at work or if I could just make a little bit more money, if I could just complete this degree, if I could just get this box checked. Those kinds of things are pleasure items. They are not 
happiness items. And so you get mm. a real quick, short release of dopamine from those, but it's not a sustained release. And so those things don't actually move the needle. But the things that, that actually do move the needle are a good bit more complicated. Now, Wait, you're telling me that that brownie is not really going to make me happier. <laughs> well, you know, for a second. For a second. Uh, okay. Okay. So what does move the needle? Baseline. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, it's okay. Darn, you know, darn that resiliency. Uh, <laughs> and the thing is, is that... Um, the the whole dopamine use system it's a use it or lose it system mm. if we're not triggering those uh dopamine releases and then we're not sending those uh transmissions of dopamine to those receptors what happens is those receptors start dying off mm. and you see this a lot in nursing homes you, you see an increase in occurrences of depression because those receptors start dying off over time because they're not getting used as much. Now we naturally lose some anyway with age. It's part of the aging process. And, and it can also play roles in other, in other disease systems and things like that. But it's a general part of aging that we do lose some of our dopamine receptors. But as we age, as we go through our lives, if we continue to trigger these longer term bursts of dopamine and utilize those receptors, we'll hold on to more of them for a longer period of time. So of course the, the next question is, well, what are these things? If it's not the brownie <laughs> and if it's, if it's not the new job or the more pay or the flashy car, then well, what the heck is it? Right. And so um, the whole field of positive psychology was all about, okay, we know what the mechanism is, so then what do we do to actually make this happen? What are the things that really move the needle? So um, none of those things are going to be the extrinsic goals. It's about intrinsic goals, you know? And so if you think about it, like if you think about it biblically and you say, what does God want from us? What kind of lives are we supposed to be living? Well, we're supposed to be using our gifts. We're supposed to be serving others. We're supposed to be, taking care of ourselves, taking care of these bodies that we were given. We're supposed to be relational. We're supposed to be making connections with other people. And all those things roll into these intrinsic goals. So the things that they found that really move the needle are adventures and personal growth, self-improvement. So learning and you know taking on new skills, personal growth items authentic relationships so making true connections with other people community feeling activities and that's your when you're being altruistic and you're you're doing service for others purely for the return of doing service you're not expecting any payment and then imagination and creativity when you are actually utilizing the parts of your brain that are imaginative and creative. All of these things are huge triggers for the release of dopamine. It's sustainable. I, I feel like you just completely described a mops group. <laughs> I did. You I did. did. I'm or getting it now. Never I where you're going. <laughs> yes. So uh, basically what it comes down to is that if you are orienting your mind outward, towards these types of things, you will find that that release of dopamine will decrease your feelings of anxiety, 
feelings of sadness, and then will create a sustained effect that actually starts to move that needle on your overall level of happiness. And like I said, it's biblical, you know? So the modalities, the actual things that increase that level of happiness, a big one is the concept of flow, which is that feeling that you get, and it doesn't matter what you're doing, and it doesn't matter, you know, if it's a day-to-day, like your job, just what you do all the time, or if it's something totally new, but it's that feeling you get when you're in the groove. Like, you're just, you're really hitting your mark, okay? And the biggest occurrences of flow happen when we're doing something that challenges us, pushes us just a little bit outside of our day-to-day. So if you're doing... um, if you're doing an exercise that you've never done before, like you go to jazzercise for the first time and you get out there and you start doing this activity and then all of a sudden the choreography starts clicking and you're in the groove. You're like, I nice. can do this. You are experiencing flow or, you know, you're, you're at work and you're processing that paperwork and you're like, okay, got something done. Okay. Got something done. And you're just hitting that mark. That feeling is flow. Remove that from people it has a very quick and very significant downward effect on their level of happiness. But people that experience flow at a minimum of three times a week have a significantly increased level of happiness overall. So flow is very, very important. I said those um, imaginative and creative activities are another big part of that. And I think the same goes for, um, with physical activity. I used to have a lot of hobbies. Now it's like, what's your hobby? Mommin, you know, yeah, but, right. but you know, there used to be a lot of other things that I did. And so I find that as I start reintroducing those things into my life and experiencing flow through those modalities that I am a much happier person. It's such an important thing to note that like, th- this is the, this is the science of mops. This is, I love the, it. this is the science of relational ministry right here. Everything that we do comes together right here in this, right in here. this area of positive psychology. And the whole concept of, of why we've got, you know, our service and our um, uh, creative activities together right here is that, you know, they, they play right into this. I wanted all the people that are leading these type of activities to recognize that they are playing this incredibly important role in these groups. And so often, just like the schools say, well, there's budget cuts and, you know, teachers are expensive. And so we're going to cut these programs out. You know, we see that happen sometimes in our groups where they say, well, we got to cut back on our budget. And they say, well, let's cut these things out. And I think that that's really harmful and I think it's harmful to the moms who lose these, this access to these kinds of things when those things are cut away. And it's also, you know, it's harmful to the leaders because you guys are really so important and what you're doing is so important to, you know, the overall mission of what we're doing. We're making better moms and, and you are so important to that. You are the cup fillers. You are the you're really the game changers. I love that too. Now you mentioned four things. I was writing them down quickly, but four things that you talked about that really give us this uptick. And that was personal growth and relationships. But then you also mentioned this community feeling and imagination and creativity. And to me, you know, those last two really are our service leaders 
and our creative activities leaders. Like they play such a part in this. And I know sometimes people ask us, um, you know, very often we, we put these two together at MOPS when we, when we talk to them. But I love how you really just put the science behind it and why we, we put these guys together is that they really get to the core of a mom and what, um, what she needs and her creativity. Can you give us sort of some ideas of where this all fits in our MOPS groups and, and maybe some practical application parts? The mind-blowing thing is that, so if we look at it, let's start with the creative activities. And we say creative activities obviously plays into imagination and creativity, but it also plays into personal growth. So here we can work in some practical ideas as well as that logic of why we're doing what we're doing. So when you're doing the creative activities, you're actually triggering that part of the brain that, that controls your imagination. And that's, we said, is a big dopamine releaser. Okay. But a lot of groups won't just do a craft. Okay. The, the creative right. activity can be a lot of other things. You might right. be taking that creative activity time to learn a new skill right there you're you're pulling in the personal growth too so you get the, the double whammy you get to learn something <laughs> and then we can also pull in that authentic relationships because something that creative activities and service both have in common is that it's not what you're doing that's really important in a lot of cases I mean it's great if you're making that super cute candle for fall wonderful you get to take a thing home you know that part isn't necessarily what's important it's what's happening while you are doing it, that's important. You are sitting shoulder to shoulder with another mom. One of my favorite writers on, you know, momming is David Thomas. Of course, right. he's one of my favorites. Remember we right? all love him. And he <laughs> talked about when you're, when you're talking to your boys, do it shoulder to shoulder instead of face to face because you take out that super social pressure, you know? So this is kind of like that. I think, you know, as moms, we kind of lose some of our social skills because we've been hanging around with people that don't speak in complete sentences too much. And so here we are shoulder to shoulder with another mom. And those awkward silences when you're getting to know somebody and you're trying to make conversation, you get to fill those with something that you're doing with your hands. Or you can just Absolutely. say, hey, pass me that ribbon or that glitter, you know. Yeah. Oh, um, no, not the glitter. <laughs> well, not all craft or creative activity leaders are as nice as right. you know, some of them right. do glitter. Um, but but you get to you kind of facilitate those conversational skills by having your hands busy and having that extra thing that you can kind of focus on, and then having those peripheral conversations. And a lot of people who might be reticent about making that connection are able to do that because they're doing this other thing. So you're fostering those authentic relationships people have a tendency to become very honest when they're not wrapped up in all the little social awkward things about communicating with somebody else and then they can start getting very real and so so those side-by-side -side, shoulder to shoulder conversations are really facilitated by doing a creative activity together when you are using the imaginative centers of your brain it increases your level of openness you are, you are more open and more receptive to other people, new ideas. And so you sure. are continuing to facilitate those authentic relationships. And if you're doing a skill together, then you have in that personal growth. So creative activities really takes so many of those needle moving ideas and kind of squishes them together.
and makes it very functional and accessible. And for the um, mom who's like, I don't have any imagination. Like I was not the mom that could do imaginative play with her kids. I just couldn't. But when we did creative activities, it really showed me that I did have an imagination. It was just, I had this very narrow view of what imagination meant. Like you said, if you don't use it, you lose it. And this gives you an opportunity to use some of those things that you may not even recognize you have. Right. And to build off of that, like I said earlier, doing something in a novel, unusual new way increases that trigger. So if you're not generally a person who is crafty or doing really imaginative things, but you start to be challenged into doing some of those things, you start to push yourself outside of your comfort zone and try something new, you increase that incur occurrence of flow and your dopamine, your dopamine release is increased. So sure. the more challenging something is to you, the, the more uh, what you put in, you'll get out. Right. So what about our service leaders? I think sometimes this creativity and imagination is easier to see um, when we talk about creative activities. I mean, it even has the same word in it. Um, but some of those things, other things that you mentioned, our service leaders really play into that. Absolutely. And service is a really cool thing. Um, I mean, really cool on a lot of different levels. But um, one of the neat things about doing service for other people is that um, there was a study that came out a couple months ago, maybe it was about a year ago, and it was on the concept of risky play and how, I know that sounds kind of weird, but the idea that it's really, really important for children to experience play that has built-in risks so that climbing too high on the jungle gym and, but you know, not being said, no, get down, get down. No, but letting them do that and push those boundaries a little bit because yeah, there might be some natural consequences from what you're doing, but you're learning to challenge yourself. You're learning to intelligently calculate your risks. And that becomes really, really important to the development of children. Well, I don't think that its importance necessarily fades. I think that our emphasis on it kind of goes away. So what is that for a grown-up? Well, I think, and this is just my opinion, that our risks that we take are when we push ourselves outside of our comfort zone. And I think oh, that absolutely. in order to serve others, in order to bring comfort to others, a lot of times we have to make ourselves a little uncomfortable. Absolutely. And I think that, that stepping out and stepping into groups of people that you wouldn't usually be with, you wouldn't usually have your conversations with because the opportunity wouldn't even be there. Service gives you that opportunity to step out and be in a totally uncomfortable environment to do something totally outside of your comfort zone and to grow from that. So once again, you're pulling from that personal growth, uh, that personal growth option when you're doing service, you're experiencing those, those personal risks and you're getting out and you're, you're immersing yourself with people that you might not otherwise have an opportunity to be immersed with. And that's really important for our authentic relationships because in doing that, we start seeing people in a different light. You know, we live in a society where we tend to be pretty isolated. We tend to fall into our very homogenous groups. You know, we, um, 
we have less and less of those really direct conversations with people because we're communicating through text messages and watching each other's lives through Facebook. And, you know, we all, we go to church with people that church like us, or, you know, we go to mops groups with people who are from our same areas or whatever. But when you start doing community service, you, you de-homogenize, you get out sure. there with people that you don't usually rub elbows with. And in doing that, you're challenging your mind to see people in a different way. And that makes us, once again, more open. It makes us more ready to accept new ideas, to see things from a different angle and perspective. Um, we become more empathetic, more understanding. And I think just all in all, those are things that make us better friends. You know, the, they, they make us better uh they put us in a better position to form authentic relationships with other people without trying to fit somebody into the box we want them to be in. Then on top of that, we have just purely that idea, that community feeling, that altruism that I talked about as one of the things that move the needles. And so this, in studying the actual science of this, uh, altruism and altruistic thought and altruistic endeavors trigger a very specific part of the brain. And they had a Buddhist monk who devoted his whole ministry, his whole life centers around thinking about meditating on praying on altruism, altruism acts. And in his active life, he's going out and he's, he's doing those things. And so they're like, well, we want to see if this is what you're totally dedicated to. We want to like look at your brain and we want to see what's happening. And so they did contrast MRIs and they're like, okay, we want you to pray about this. We want you to just give it your whole thought. Think about it very intensely. And so they watched on this contrast MRI and they watched the part of his brain just fire off, just hmm. super bright. And then they said, okay, stop, stop. And he stopped, but they kept watching. And that part of the brain kept firing very, very intensely. And that this is another part of that brain that just really gives out that dopamine really strongly. They're like, well, what if we could take people that are struggling with anxiety and depression and teach them to trigger this? You know, more and more when people are counseling people through anxiety and depression, they're like, go go do for others, like right. push right. your way out there because we know that that has a huge uh, impact on our release of dopamine. And so when you're going out and you're serving others with no expectation of getting anything back, it's purely for, I want to do for other people. Right. Um, you, you get that. And, and I think that, you know, in MOPS, we're in an excellent position, whether it's a big service project that your group has decided to embark on, or if it's, all right, you're going to coordinate the meal trains for all the women that had a, a baby this month. You're, you're doing that because you want to serve other people. Sure. And it doesn't, even if it's just that, you know, you see that mom that's struggling with her kid and you're like, Hey, can I carry that bag to your car for you? You're, you're taking that step out and you're serving somebody else. And then you walk away with that good feeling. And when you know that that good feeling is one of those sustainable, uh, dopamine releasers, and it's actually going to move your needle, then you're going to do it more frequently. Sure. And I think even some of that, the whole random act of kindness movement was, uh, a part of that. You know, when we talk about service, it doesn't have to be, like you said, these big, huge projects. It can be smaller. 
um, right. smaller things. It can be free things, you know? So much of what we hear today talks about how when we have some of those feelings of depression and anxiety, doing some of those random acts of kindness or um, even just so simply as um, keeping a gratitude journal. Like those are things that can start to trigger our brains to think differently. But those are things that you can kind of do by yourself. And I think our MOPS groups give us the opportunity to do things together. Is there a science be behind? I mean, I know there's got to be a science behind that. Like you're my science girl. There's got to be a science behind doing some of that. Well, I, I think it comes down to sociology in that case, you know, because I, we live in a society right now that really encourages a lot of competition. I mean, we've all heard like the mom wars and stuff like that. Oh, she's, she's got it better than me. And, and like I said, when we're seeing people's worlds through the lens of Facebook and, you know, these edited, perfected um, storylines about people's lives, it, it really encourages a lot of competition, even if it's not... You know, the other person might not even be aware that you're competing with them. But <laughs> you're in competition, you know, right? Keeping up with the Joneses uh, kind of mentality is just really built into our society. And it, when we're always competing, it's hard to cooperate. But when you start utilizing service and you start living with that outward thinking perspective and you're, you're, you're hitting these intrinsic goals not only are you getting an increased feeling of happiness, but you're increasing, like I said, that empathy and that openness and the ability to see other people in a different light. And those are essential ingredients to being able to work alongside somebody else. Now, I know in every MOPS group that I've been in, there are people who in any given conversation, I could disagree with multiple times. But not seeing eye to eye on something didn't disallow me from having a valuable relationship with that person. And, you know, in MOPS, we're, we're a non-denominational ministry. We got a lot of people that are on their walk of faith looking at things a little differently, you know. Sure. So, and you're also bringing in moms who might never walk into your church. Otherwise, they're coming there for that relationship with their moms. And you're, so your goal, your whole philosophy is meeting people where they are. And that's a, that's a hard ask for somebody that isn't in an empathetic, understanding, um, open and thriving state of mind. But when you exercise those surface muscles, you're changing the structure. It actually changes the structure of your brain to create in you a mindset of cooperation and openness. And that works at the group level to, to form those relationships. It works on your leadership team because if you're going to work together to pull off meeting after meeting after meeting, you're never going to please all the people all the time. You're never going to hit that mark where you are a hundred percent in agreement on everything, <laughs> anything ever. But, I, I know. Right. I can't even do that in my house. Right. But <laughs> it doesn't mean that you can't cooperate and, right. and by actually endeavoring on these service type, you know, if, by taking on that service mindset, you know, putting down selfishness and self-interest and working on that outward 
serving others, you get greater cooperation. I love that. And I think that's a great way for either of these leaders to be able to present it to their leadership teams, to be able to say, you know, that kind of brings us back full circle of why this is so important is that we're here to serve the moms. And this is what we want to see grow in our moms, this personal relationships, this learning new things, the creativity, the community feeling. We want to see this so that our moms do thrive. I love that. Okay, is there anything else that you really want our um, creative activities or our service leaders to know? Well, I want you to know that you, you guys are so important to everything that we're doing in MOPS. You, you are the ones that are changing the, the minds, the lives. You're changing the very lives of the moms that come to you because taking a mom from a place where they are tired and overworked and wrapped up in the you know emotions and the frustrations of momming and you're pulling them out of that and you're saying hey let's play let's take some risks together let's get out there and think about um think about life more positively you're taking those things you guys are the cup fillers we know we say all the time you can't pour from an empty cup and it's it's the modalities that you are bringing into the meetings that are filling their cups don't take those occurrences of people saying oh, i'm not crafty i don't want to do it or you know don't don't let those things get you down because if they knew what you knew <laughs> they would jump right in and participate in these things they you know they would sure. do that and, and i and the other thing too is that I think if you start thinking about creative activities and service, instead of just kind of the run of the mill, like creative activities is a craft and service is a big service project and you break it down and you say, okay, creative activities is about personal, uh, personal growth, um, imagination and creativity and, um, you know, informing authentic relationships. What are the things that we can do? to make those things happen. So it's not just what craft you pull off of Pinterest. It might be something that's not a craft at all, but is driving those kinds of things. That's still creative activity. Right. And when it's service, it's not necessarily just that big service project. Once again, you've got personal growth, you're building authentic relationships, you're doing community feeling, and sometimes you're being creative too. So you might be all, right. all those things in one. And and if you start breaking it down into what modality are we bringing to the table instead of just what are we called, it opens up a world of possibilities for your group and what you can be doing. Well, Rebecca, thank you for joining us today and, and helping us understand a little bit more of the why behind this. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And leaders, you are such an integral part of our MOPS group, just like Rebecca said. Um, we would love to hear from you. So come over and talk to us on the MOPS Leaders Facebook page. We also have some great leader resources created just for you. So make sure you're registered for your MOPS membership so you have access to that. Watch for your connections email that comes to your inbox twice a month. And make sure you visit training.mops.org where you can become MOPS Leader Certified. These are just short videos that are loaded with great information and honestly take less than 90 minutes to complete the entire certification course. 
Thank you for listening in. And remember, very often, the difference between surviving and thriving as a leader is just our willingness to step up, learn something new, or do something different. So let's do those things together because this is our year to thrive.